This is the CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Okay, we're here on the grapevine today with Vice-Chancellor Professor Nick Klomp. Welcome to Central Queensland's winter, Nick. This is <laughs> a bit different to Canberra, I think. Wow, yeah. Hi, Priscilla. Um, yeah, I'm loving this. Although I started in February and people kept on saying, oh, wow, it's really humid up there. You're, you're living on campus in Rockhampton. Uh, it's going to be really tough. But I'm a Perth boy. I'm used to really hot weather. And I have to say, so far, I've loved the weather here. In fact, it's made me start to think that maybe I'm surrounded by a mob of whingers because everyone seems to be always... <laughs> telling me how bad it's going to be and all I've ever found is how lovely it is. Um, So no complaints so far, that's for sure. That's awesome. Um, So you've just completed your inaugural tour of all the campuses of CQ. Mm. What's your first impressions? Uh, Well, it took me 100 days. Uh, My first impressions are that there's a lot of them. So we're on 26 physical locations all around Australia. That's places where we deliver our courses um, and conduct research in many of them. So that's exciting alone. Uh, You'd think that um, one of my decisions might be, surely I'm going to close a couple, surely we don't... By the end of the year, we'll have more. Uh, There's more study hubs, more communities coming to us saying, hey, can we have a presence here or there because by having a physical presence you increase the aspiration and the opportunity for access and participation. So my overall impression Priscilla more than anything was what a great job the university does operating in these really thin markets in these communities. It's so important for the community. It'd be so easy for us to pack up and go back to the big centres and it's not what we do. It's The university prides itself on, on providing this access. So I'm loving that. And, and then my other um, if impressions were have we got some good people all over the shop? The community loves us. The people there are really good and really uh, understand the nature of the university, understand the nature of their communities, and they bring those two bits together in a great way. So I've just been welcomed everywhere I've gone. It's been amazing. Would you have a special location, a favourite? Yes, definitely my favourite. You know, I'm happy to go this publicly. Definitely my favourite. Um, and then, no, no. Okay, for all your listeners, there's no way I was going to fall for that. Uh, uh, good one. You were after a scoop there, weren't you, Priscilla? Um, no, um, well, I live in, in Rockhampton on the campus. The university provides a house on campus. Most univers- most vice chancellors live on campus around Australia. Um, and uh, a lot of people say, wow, you've been here for three months now. What do you think of Rockhampton? And I always say, oh, I really love it, because I actually do. But guess what, I've probably only been in actually in Rockhampton for about three weeks of those three months. I've been travelling around so much. Um, uh, just every place I've gone, there's been something really special about it. Uh, certainly the community, that, that goes without saying everywhere I've gone. But there's always been something. People can always tell you something amazing about the place that you're in. Um, so I've loved that. Gee, um, my, I've just come back from Northwest WA. I haven't been in Northwest WA for 30 years. I'm a WA boy. Um, so Bruin and Carrara and Port Hedland, tough markets, uh, really great need for the university to be there. So uh, that, that's probably what I've been thinking about the last two or three days. I don't know what the solutions are, but you know, I think the university's got an opportunity to do some good in those spaces as well. Excellent. No, I think our staff, our students and our communities are eager to know a little bit more about you. Mm. So you're brought up in Perth. Can you tell us a bit about 
where you grew up and what yeah. family life was like for you. Okay, so um, so uh, I grew up in Perth, uh, in South Perth, in fact in Como. So Como is, is a, an inner suburb now and when I drive down my old street nowadays, I just saw it a few days ago, there's no way I could afford to live there anymore. It's really rich, it's really grand, it's all apartments and that sort of stuff. The house was bulldozed ages ago. Uh, six kids in our family um, and I was number four. So I've got three older brothers and a younger sister and brother. Um, and they're spread all over the shop now, but I catch up with them in Perth. Some of them are still in Perth, um, uh, just occasionally. And my mum's still alive and she still lives just around the corner, still in Como. Um, uh, so uh, first 25 years in Western Australia, really. Mm -hmm. uh, I got my first degree at, at Curtin University, which was called Wait at the time. It just turned to Curtin University as I graduated. And then I got another degree at Murdoch University. So a couple of West Australian universities. Mm -hmm. Then I did some work and got my first paper out, did some research at Flinders University. Uh, and then I studied overseas in Glasgow, mostly in the, Shet well, all, all, all my research in the Shetland Islands, uh, north of Scotland, uh, and got my PhD at the University of Glasgow. Then from there, and this is the important bit probably, because this is kind of what shaped my career, I think. I went to Charles Sturt University, thinking I was only going there, straight after PhD, thinking I was only going to go there for a few years. By that stage, it was about the fourth or fifth university, and I was happy to go to lots of different universities. And what I realised there was how important regional universities were. I ended up being there for 20 years. And I, was, I kept on telling them, even in the interview, I'm only here for three years. I want to be honest. I'm only here for three. Um, it's A, you know, got lots of promotions, lots of opportunities, uh, but really saw how important a regional university was. Then I took the opportunity after 20 years to be the Deputy Vice-Chancellor at University of Canberra. Great university, loved it, really a couple of great bosses there. But I think what I was missing was that regional engagement. The difference being, if a city university disappears, then a whole lot of students would have to catch another bus to the next university, but that'd be okay. If a regional university, in so many regional places I've been in the last three months, if that disappears, literally thousands of people don't go to uni. We've got six and a half thousand first-in-family students right now out of our student cohort. Many of those simply wouldn't have gone to university or wouldn't be going to university if it wasn't for the access and participation and opportunity that CQ University offers. I'm really proud of that. That makes this university really important as opposed to all the other measures of a university. It's one of the most important universities in Australia. I'm really excited about that. It kind of gives you a bit of responsibility, doesn't it, uh, to be delivering to the regions. Uh, but I'm up for that. And I think that's what I was missing for the last six or seven years. I'm delighted to be back into that fold. That's awesome. Mm. Just going back a little bit, what made you actually jump into academia? I, I, I'm just struggling to think as a high school student, what made you sort of think, oh, I'd love to work in universities or, mm. I, you know, mm. tell us about that thought process. The, uh, I, I think I was always fascinated by science um, and certainly my father was a teacher and he taught a little bit of biology, I understand, in between teaching Latin and English and accounting and various other things. He taught me at school, but only for one last subject before he retired, uh, in bookkeeping, I think it was called at the time. 
I don't know what I learned from that, but anyway, I've learned a lot since starting this job. Let me tell you about finances. Um, the uh, so. I think I was always interested in science and I was always fascinated by the teaching process. Um, and I used to watch teachers at school and sometimes watch them when they struggled and and would often think to myself, well, I see what's going on here. Those students aren't understanding because they're not giving a good exam. As a, as a kid, I look back on it now and as a kid, I used to think I'd teach this way. I'd try that style. I would use this example. And do you know how teachers used to say, I'll... I'll, I'll uh, go off on a tangent for a second, Priscilla, if I may. You know how teachers, do they ever say it to you when they go, Georgina, if you can do better, come out here and do it. They sort of, and a lot of teachers would say that. And for me, as, even as a teenager, I used to think, wow, I can see that saying something like that to a t student means that you're struggling with how you're teaching it. And I'd practiced this speech. I never got to use it, which was going to be, uh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Smith, um, I do have an idea about how, you know, they people might not be understanding. It, it, could I take that opportunity? I actually wanted the opportunity for a teacher to say to me, if you think you can do better, come out the front here. I was going to take it. Well, I never got that opportunity. But one way or another, I, I was always fascinated by education, the process of teaching and the importance of it. So then when I went to university and started studying science at, uh, at Curtin. Um, I started majoring in biology, but it could have been. I love physics. I love chemistry. I love computing. It could have been any of the sciences. Um, uh, I think pretty soon I started thinking, well, maybe I could do, go into academia. Um, I think that process started probably while I was at uni. I wasn't positive where I was going to go, but the teaching bit of me and the research bit of me all sort of collided and it was going to be academia for me. Lovely. Mm. And so you're an environmental scientist, is that right? Yes, a professor of environmental science. Okay. So where is that taking you? Mm. In the middle there somewhere. I know. And and so people often say, you know, well, you've been fortunate in your career. And I really have been. Um, but, but you don't start off trying to be a vice chancellor. Mm -hmm. uh, even a, a year ago, I wasn't trying to be a vice chancellor. You know, I was happy in the roles that I was playing. All, all you want to do is make a difference, don't you? Um, so a lot of it for me was driven by the research uh, and the teaching. Um, and so when I went into a PhD, I was I really wanted to study. I was studying seabirds. Where do you go for, to study seabirds? The best one of the best places in the world is the Shetland Islands. So I found a supervisor. They happened to be at the University of Glasgow. You know, I was studying in the best place in the world. So it was those. That was how I was making those decisions. It wasn't about where I'd be in twenty years' time. Um, but but coming back to my roots of where you can make a difference, where you can make a difference. When I landed at Charles Sturt University, I thought, well, I'm only going to be here for a few years. It was a way of getting back into Australia. But you suddenly realised you were making a difference. You were teaching. I remember teaching a whole lot of Aboriginal cadet rangers at the time in wildlife management. I thought, wow, this is actually making a really big difference to people's lives and careers and opportunities. Uh, so I got got sucked into it really quickly. And so my decision process very quickly came on to, well, there's all sorts of job opportunities, but where can I make most a difference? And and that's what drove me. And I and I hope that's what drives most people. It was never about the money. It was never about the location. It really didn't matter where I was uh, I was working for me. It was just about where I could make a difference. 
And you're a family man as well, or you've got a grown-up family. Mm. How did you fit family life in about all, with all this work going on? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, young kids, they just they sort of adapt to anything, don't they? Yeah, you're right. My kids are grown up now. Danielle is 30 and Michael is 28. They've both got partners um, and they live in Canberra and Melbourne, respectively, at the moment. Although if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have been telling you different locations overseas. and So they're all over the shop. So one thing, Sue, my wife and I, have decided very early on is that we're not going to chase the kids. Um, uh, and so we catch up with them quite regularly uh, just when they're in town or we're in their town and that's lovely. So we've just got the fur family now, Lola the dog. Lola. Um, and how's Lola going? Lola. Oh my goodness me, Priscilla. Lola is loving CQ University. Um, well, we thought she was ha- a happy dog. She's seven years of age, happy in Canberra, you know, slow- slowing down a little bit with age. I don't know what has happened in the last three months. It's the weather or it's the students. She is a new dog. She's just a pup. She's loving the weather. I just took her for a 10 run, 10k run this morning. She, normally she's dragging dragging the chain. Nah, she's running off like crazy, enjoying herself. And any excuse at all for her to run across the students on campus here in Rockhampton, for example, or only 100 metres away. And she's amazed that everybody, even international students, just landed that day from whatever country you can choose they all know the stick game. She's amazed that everyone knows the stick game. So she'll pick up a stick, drop it at their feet. They throw it away. Of course, she brings it back. And suddenly they're sucked in and they can't stop. And so she's loving it. She's loving the company. She's loving the weather. She's a new dog. It's kind of, it's delightful to see. Awesome. Just back to work a little bit now. I know you've been working very hard on the strategic plan. Mm. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the new vision Mm-hmm. Um, for CQ Uni. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not secret squirrels. I can t- talk about it absolutely because I've been at pains to to share it with everybody. Uh, the first month or two, it's been everyone been feeding in all their best ideas. And the first thing about that was I thought there'd be ideas left, right and centre. It'd be just a scattergun and it'd be hard to pull it together. But amazingly, or maybe not surprisingly, if you stop and think about it, so many ideas converged. So many people were thinking along the same lines. So that's been made it really easy to pull together a new strategic plan. That's in front of council now. So some subcommittees then up to council. And if all goes well, I'm happy to change. I don't know what a measure of well is. If new ideas are still welcome. Um, but I think we've almost got to the point where council will sign off maybe at the end of this month. Uh, and then I'll and so all of the staff and all the students will see the final copy. They've already seen drafts of it and what have I what where has it converged where are the best ideas definitely lots more in the virtual environment lot that that we talk about the student experience and it's so important in all its guises your experience on campus your experience with other working with other students your interactions with staff your interactions with the content and how relevant it is your interactions with the workplace and how your university gives you an opportunity for work placements that's all important but we should never underestimate the 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 role of the virtual environment not just for distance education students even for face-to-face students that have got 20 hours a week contact face-to-face a whole big chunk of their learning and communication is done online their content the way they communicate with each other the way they communicate with their staff and of course all the a whole lot of their electronic resources you've got to get that 
online environment really, really schmick. And that's a really good part of the whole environment for the student. And if you can make that personalized so they don't have to wade through, hey, where was that resource? Which subject am I checking on? What's the car parking like? Uh, what room am I meant to be in now? But actually pull it together so when they push the their app button for CQ University, it's all about them. And instead of they have to go searching, it's all their information they require all at once, including all the extra resources and contacts and communications. Wouldn't that be neat? That's the way universities are going slowly now. That's the way many companies have already gone. And so we need to get into that space as well. So there's a big change and that will cost a lot of resource, a lot of time. Um, but the curriculum is the other thing. We have uh, taken, we're revising our curriculum all the time and we do it in different courses come up for reaccreditation and revision every three to five year cycles at different times. I want to pull that together a little bit and be a little bit more coordinated. So over the next few years, really revise all our curriculum all at once. It gives us an opportunity to build in things like work integrated learning, the virtual environment, indigenization of the curriculum, research led content, uh, a whole lot of other things, ideas from all over the place. People have had some great ideas about the curriculum. So long as we make it really, really relevant. So when a student within their first week or two of university is looking around saying, yes, this is why I'm doing it. I'm learning stuff which is just like what I'm going to be doing when I graduate. So instead of giving a poor IT student an essay in their first week or two, they'll never do an essay in their career. Give them a website, give them a bit of coding, give them, I mean, I don't know, but let's think of things that the assignments are relevant, the content's relevant, and they really just launch into their career at the first few weeks of starting their university. And the, and from then on, all of their studies is really that relevant, that industry relevant learning. I think we do that a lot in, a, in most cases. Let's just make sure that we're really pinging off the walls in all our courses. So there'll be some changes there as well. I'm pretty excited about that. And I think when I speak to the academics, nearly everyone to, to a number I suspect have said, wow, let's get into that, that sounds great. I know we touched on it a little bit before, but what do you see as CQ Uni's role in regional Australia? How are we going to progress um, the regions um, with a hub like CQ Uni in, in most of these locations? Mm. Um, the thing is, you can't be everywhere. Um, so our distance education uh offerings are really important and they can't be second best. They've got to be really, really cool. Um, so long as people have got access to internet, they've got to be able to access lectures live or delayed, synchronous tutorials, uh, all the online content, uh, various video, um, just short presentations from lecturers and, you know, all sorts of stuff. You just got to really make it an enhanced environment. So that's, that's one bit of it. That gives us access to people that either don't want to or simply can't attend a physical space. But then I want to increase our physical presence. Now, how can I do that? Priscilla, I can't afford that. It's, it's expensive. And the reason why the city universities aren't in these spaces is because there's such thin markets, they can't economically justify it. And they're right, you can't economically justify it. 
but that doesn't matter. Seeker University is here for the regions, for our communities as best we can. So the best idea is for us to make sure that wherever we're, we're physically located, we do it really efficiently, and wherever we can, we do it with the community. And that's the bit that I'm really excited about because there's all various communities now that have got a little bit of funding uh, from the government, state and federal, different states and federal, a bit of funding to create these study hubs. And, and they're looking around saying, which universities can we partner with? And they're and of course, all the ones that are successful already, already established study hubs or what they call university centres in the Pilbara, in Geraldton, in Cooma, in, in Goulburn. If you go to them and say, which university should we start talking to? Guess what the answer is? CQ University. So we're getting all these approaches from various communities that have got a little bit of money over the next year or two to develop these study hubs. And boy, will we be great partners for them. Frankly, we can help them establish it. And in some cases, they're not even quite sure how they're going to go about it. And so that we can be really good help for them in that in that space. And if that allows us, this is not about getting extra students per se, or certainly no extra money, we lose money. But if it allows people to go to university, a great university like Seeker University, and they wouldn't have otherwise been able to do it, well, that's the game we're in. So you can staff and students can expect to hear um, see and hear Seeker University pop up in all sorts of different places around Australia over the next year or two. And I'm really excited about that. And this is a model that we can do in a way that we can afford it. So proud about it and we're not breaking the bank at the same time. Fantastic. Mm. Um, we're not a sandstone university, but we do some awesome research. Can you tell us um, what your thoughts are about research into the future for CQ Uni? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You bet. We do some amazing research. We are batting above our... Well, is that... Is that fighting above our weight. Anyway, whatever the term is, I'm mixing my metaphors. The um, uh, Quite remarkable. And industry across the board. Health, engineering... Ag absolutely recognise the, the the sorts of contributions we make, uh, so that is really exciting. We've got to we've got to redouble our efforts. Uh, this university will always be committed to the creation of new knowledge. Uh, we're ranked in is it twenty two uh, different disciplines that we're at world standard or above, which is quite remarkable. I want to increase that a little bit. But I'm not interested in, in just being great in lots of disciplines. I want to make sure that increase a bit, but then deepen those to be even better in those very areas that clearly we've, we've got a need. We've got the demand from industry. How am I going to do it? More contacts with industry. They're lining up to work with us anyway, so we've just got to make put that into effect. But here's a bit, a bit of inside word. Um, I Where do you invest? If you don't have enough money, where would you put... If you had 10 bucks, if you had 100 bucks, if you had a million bucks, where would you invest in research? And I think the answer is early and mid-career researchers um, and research high-degree students. They are the engine room of our research. They are ways for us to invest. Uh, don't get me wrong, if you're a senior researcher and listening to this, they're going, hey, what am I, chopped liver? No, but senior researchers are already leading and they're already getting a whole lot of research and, and they, they should, that's their job. And I expect them to create programs and teams around them that uh, that capture the early career researchers and support them and mentor them and capture groups of research higher degree students. No, we need more scholarships and more support, for, more scholarships for research higher degrees 
and more support for our early career and mid-career researchers that are just finding their feet, but they just need that 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 extra push in training and in support. And that's where we're going to, oh, scarce research dollars, that's where we're going to put them. Now, one of the ways to help that is to be approaching industry and say, hey, join forces with us, we'll put on a scholarship if you do. So you can double your money just by working with, with groups. And also philanthropic groups, individuals and companies that aren't necessarily wanting to invest in a research program project but just want to support the university well a great way to do that is to be thinking about research higher degree scholarships that will spread our money even further one last thing that we haven't touched on priscilla and i know that you're meant to be asking the questions but let me ask the question nick what about social innovation well i'm glad you asked nick um because <laughs> uh, because one of the things throughout the draft plan and you'll see it throughout the final plan is Seeker University is just amazing at what it does in that social innovation space. Um, So what I'm talking about here is the way that we give back to the community. Not just financially, although we certainly spend lots of money and investment in giving back to the community across all our footprint, but also can our teaching be really designed to help create a stronger community, a better resilience in the community, better opportunities economically, socially, environmentally? Uh, can our research be designed in a way that gives back to the community so we're socially innovative? Uh, we really provide back to society and back to particular communities in specific ways. Yes, we can. Of course we can. If we're active anyway in learning and teaching, let's think about those courses. Let's think about how we deliver it. If we're active in research anyway, let's think about how that research can be socially innovative and give back to society and our communities. And and if we're there, we're investing in, in, in any other ways of supporting groups, communities, in any other way, let's be really active in that space. So expect to see lots of that in the new plan and expect our curriculum that's right, how we teach our students to start reflecting that, because I would like all graduates to come out, even if they don't go into the social innovation space, not everyone's going to do that. I want them to come out being aware of how important that is, not just because, you know, CQ University is an amazing university and wants to give back to the communities. That's one reason. But here's another good reason. Look at all the companies that are already occupying this space. That the big companies of the world that say, we just don't want to make money, we want to be social innovation innovators as well. So actually creating graduates that are aware of this space actually makes them more employable anyway. So it's a really good thing to do. It's, it's, it's a win-win all round. Expect to see lots of that in the, in the coming years in this university. Five years ago, CQ Uni joined with the local TAFE in central Queensland. I know you've been passionate about the vet sector. Mm. Where will that go? Mm. I know. If I had a magic wand, I haven't, they haven't invented them yet. If I had a magic wand, I know exactly where it would go. And that is, it would be seamless. We would, we would even stop saying that we're the only dual sector university in Queensland. We are, by the way, the only dual sector university in Queensland. But we'd stop saying it. You know why? Because we'd stop using that word dual sector. We're st- even our language reflects there's vet and there's higher education, as if there was one that was dominant over the other, more important than the other, and yet students and employers don't 
care about that. We've sort of, we're almost creating this dichotomy that doesn't need to be there. My magic wand would simply make it seamless. You come to university, I want a career in this. And you, we would provide you that learning pathway, which may well have engineers doing welding and may well have beauty therapists doing business. And it strikes me as a really obvious and sensible thing to do. But, and so you might be asking me, well, why don't I just do that right now? Well, I'm going to try to, but guess what? The models, the funding, the the red tape, the different groups that you're answerable to, uh, just make it so hard, just unnecessarily hard. We are the expert educators. We know how to produce graduates in, at, at every level. So we know what's required and we know the best way to teach it. And yet I'm tangled up in red tape and in bureaucracy and in different funding models. It's just crazy. So that's what I do if I was a, a magician. I'm not a magician, but I've got a little bit of power. Uh, I'm running a university. So maybe I can put some resources into trying to clear away a little bit of it, trying to get permission from different state and federal governments to do some trials. Let me show industry what could, what could, how good the space can be in apprenticeships and different models. So let me just see whether I can be a little bit civilly disobedient or at least a bit of a rat bag because this university is renowned for daring to be different well let me be a little bit different let's trial different things show how good it can be and maybe we'll drag everyone else kicking and streaming into some new space because that's what's needed at the moment um i'm a little bit even annoyed about it. I, I thought I knew a little bit about it until I got here, and then I realised just how tough it is, and unnecessarily so. So expect lots of activity there. How much success we'll have in changing the system, that might take me another five years, but damn, I'm committed to it. Um, in the past 10 years or so, Sikki Uni's been renowned for its health courses. It had a bit, a bit of a boom in that field. Mm. Um, Will we still see growth in that area, do you think, into the future? Or is there other areas we should be seeing growth in? Health and education will always be big, big for this university. Um, gee, the NDIS is marching forward to... Ver I mean, so the, the, the people in the cities listening to this, they'll go, well, the NDIS has been there for ages, but it's only just arriving in various rural and regional areas. And the companies springing up to provide this service are looking around going, where are the graduates? Where are the graduates in occupational therapy, in physiotherapy? And in rural and regional areas, there's a real lack of, of those graduates and real need. Um, so they now, groups are turning to us saying, Nick, we need some graduates and this and that. I'm going, well, great, but it takes me four years to provide those graduates. And anyway, I've got to have the demand of students knocking on my door saying I want to do that. So there's a great careers, really great opportunities in the regions in all of this health space. I'll motor as fast as I can. I will encourage schools to explain to their students for the school leavers that this is an opportunity. I'll encourage various other people in other disciplines, hey, this might be an opportunity to up grade or change within your discipline, we will make it as flexible and as attractive as, as any university possibly can. We It will be an important space for our communities and for Australia for the foreseeable future, Priscilla, and we will be there providing graduates and, importantly, research, because there's all sorts of new ways of doing this sort of stuff. Uh, telehealth is one obvious example, but even just making sure that our regions don't get second best, but get the cutting edge the new knowledge, the graduates that are at that absolute best practice when they come out. So, and research informs that. So there'll be plenty of research and plenty of activity in producing graduates in this space. 
And what about engineering and mining? I know um, before the election we were promised um, a mining school. Can you tell us a little bit about that sort of space and where we could be going in that yes. area? Yes, the coalition committed to um, funding for a school of mining and funding for a school of manufacturing. Uh, one in Rockhampton, one in Gladstone. Uh, but remember that this will then still those sorts of schools will still uh, contribute to the other regions. Uh, not only allow us to offer the by distance education uh, greater courses, but also satellite campuses and other opportunities for. For a physical presence in new courses. Those sorts of resources, you sort of think, well, hang on, that's for this place or that place. All boats rise with an incoming tide. You know, everybody across the university and all our communities benefit from those sorts of commitments. So I'm delighted. Um, that's going ahead. We've already got Tiger teams working on on those. Um, we're already providing a lot of trade, and a lot of support in the mining sector and the manufacturing sector, but this will allow us to redouble our efforts in that space. So that is really exciting. Just coming back full circle back to you, um, I've heard you've got a special interest in running. You've done some marathons in the past. What's the draw card? Yeah, um, I don't know the answer to that. So I went for a run this morning, and when you when I'm a little bit fitter, so I've been doing some long runs. Uh, so I was a little bit fitter this morning. The dog was happy, Lola. I was happy. It was dark, but a few of the diehards were running. Uh, you sort of see the same people, and you wave to them or say hello to them if you cross paths. Um, uh, it, it is a lovely feeling to be fit enough to do that. Uh, I'm, by the way, compared to everybody else who's a real runner, I'm the slowest in the pack, and I can affirm that because I run with the Rockhampton Rocky Road Runners here, and they're a great bunch. And but ready, set, go, and off they go. And I see them at the end, two or three hours later. They are much, much better than I am. So I let me just say this very clearly: I'm a slow runner. But I am stubborn, and I, you know, and I do like it. And when you're feeling a bit fit, it, it's lovely. And when you're not fit, uh, the, the the thing that drives me then is, gee, I must get fit. So if, if I've slacked off for the previous month or so, then I that is motivation in itself. And then I, so I do marathons. Uh, so I've got the Gold Coast coming up next month, um, and it'll take me four hours to finish the marathon, and that's that's not a particularly fast time, um, but. It is an achievement, and to be organised enough to be able to train and do a marathon, really, I mean, this will sound nerdy, but it just requires you to be really organised. And so you have to get up at that five o'clock, and you have to put in the hours on the weekend, and you have to, and therefore you have to make sure that you're organised for work and make sure you're organised for your home life. So, in a strange way, even though I'm adding to the workload for all the training, what it does, it's sort of, it's a, it's a check on me on how efficient I am. Uh, it, does that sound weird, Priscilla? I'm sorry. You, you, you're giving me uh, that <laughs> strange look. Um, yeah, I know it does sound weird, but it, for me, it's, it's just a, a personal check of, are you really organised? Because if you're really organised, you're fitting this in as well. Um, so it, a measure of my efficiency, and it's probably good for me as well. That's why I do it. And look, when I've got a bit of spare breath, I chat to people along the way, but mostly they're the ones talking, and I'm going, uh-huh, uh, as I'm running, because I don't have any spare breath to talk properly. <laughs> I've also had that you've got an electric skateboard. Are you trying to relive your youth? Um, okay. Well, that's not quite true. I've actually got two electric oh. skateboards and I've already <laughs> given one away. Um, so, uh, yeah, why do you need two? You know, you can only run one at a time. Um, 
Look, yeah, look, I was really a lousy skateboarder as a kid. I mean, we everyone had skateboards in Perth, you know, and in my teenage years, everyone had a skateboard. Um, so, yeah, it's terrific. It was always fun being on the skateboard, really terrible at it. I used to lose my bottle coming. My older brothers were much better, and they could tear down the hill. I would lose my bottle up and and bail and roll on the grass and stuff. So looking back on it, I was never very good. Well, an electric skateboard is so much fun. A, it's no effort. B, it includes a break. So you got a little trigger. So I go downhill. I go up hills without trying, just straight up, no pushing. And I go downhills because I can always break. So, um, and that, that sense of freedom and fun. So I put sunglasses, helmet, earphones on. I go out early mornings, Sunday morning. No one will ever see. No one knows it's Nick. So I, you know, I don't want anyone to ever see me. It's all just embarrassing. It looks like a try hard. And and it isn't about that. It's about an hour or two of the music blaring in my ears, and it's just. So much fun. Sue, my wife, says you, you, that I can't get the smile off my face for the rest of the day. It really is so much fun. <laughs> so I've never, I've not come off in in years of doing this. I've been uh, skateboards for six or seven years, electronic electric skateboards, and I've never fallen off. I'm just waiting for the day. I know I'm going to come a cropper, but so far it hasn't happened, and I just, I just love it. It's great fun. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for um, talking to us on The Great Vine. It's been very informative. Thank you. Thanks, Priscilla. Great fun. See you, mate. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.